0: Chapter Twenty Of What the White Race May Learn from the Indian by George Wharton James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty The Indian and the Superfluities of Life The White Race may learn much from the Indian as to the superfluities of life. There is no question but that we, the White Race, are cursed with the collecting habit. We are vexed by many possessions. And what is the good of much of what we gather? Mere trash accumulated for show, bought without much thought merely to gratify a passing whim, and half the time we don't know what to do with our purchases when we have made them. Our houses are no longer homes. They are converted into bric-a-brac establishments our children become a terror to us lest they should touch this or that or the other and our nervous systems are wrecked because of dread lest our fine japanese bowl or our elegant etruscan vase or our exquisite italian figurine or that lovely hindu idol should be injured a year or two ago i was the guest in the home of an eminent scientist whose wife is herself a remarkable woman Gifted as a writer and public speaker, and yet whose home is laden with extraneous material to the nerve-breaking point. One evening they were entertaining a well-known author and lecturer, and the hostess had called upon him to tell of some of his interesting experiences. The guest was a normal, healthy man and gentle in his movements, but, while speaking, somewhat free in gesticulation. In one part of his story, he made a quick motion and pushed his chair gently back. In doing so, he overturned a Japanese vase that stood on a slight pedestal nearby. With a crash that shocked the nerves of everyone present, the valuable piece of bric-a-brac fell. Fortunately, it was not broken, but with blanched face, though her voice was well under control the hostess tenderly picked it up. She endeavored to smooth over the accident, but the author's interest in his story was gone. He brought it to a lame conclusion and gave an evident sigh of relief, though quite unconsciously, when his wife suggested that the babies might need her presence at home after they had gone i was witness of the grief and distress of the poor woman who lamented the injury to her treasure and who evidently valued it far more than she did the comfort and welfare of her visitors and guests i sometimes go to homes where the furniture is of the elegantly polished or enameled type to place a book or one's hand upon such polish is to mar the surface the hostess must either keep the table to be merely looked at and be in constant terror lest someone outwit her vigilance and mar its beauty, or resign herself to seeing it used and spoiled. Now, of all these images, I constantly ask myself, What's the use? For myself, I value the health and happiness of my wife and my children more than all the bric-a-brac that ever was or ever will be made the nerves of the former and the healthy untrammeled movements of the latter are worth far more than a few curios and so with my guests i want my visitors to feel free to move around and about in my home as healthy men and women ought to do and if there is anything in the way of such action THE SOONER IT IS KNOCKED DOWN AND SMASHED, THE BETTER I SHALL LIKE IT. AND AS FOR ENAMELLED FURNITURE, IF I FOUND ANY OF IT INTRODUCED INTO MY HOUSE, WHERE I WAS CONSTANTLY IN DANGER OF MARRING IT, I FEAR MY ANGRY PASSIONS WOULD RISE, AND SO WOULD THE POLISHED ARTICLE, TO FIND ITSELF AT THE NEXT MOMENT ON THE WOODPILE. HUMAN HAPPINESS AND COMFORT are of more value than many pieces of furniture, and he, and he only, is wise who keeps life as simple as possible and free from these needless, labor-creating, nerve-wearing luxuries and superfluities of life. In both men's and women's dress, too, something may be said on this line. The tendency of the age is to add and add and add, until we are burdened by the superfluous women want laces embroideries tucks ruffles pleats and ribbons they quilt braid hem and fell to a tearful and wonderful extent all adding labor trouble and care to life and depriving them of time that could and should be more wisely and profitably spent No one loves to see woman or man neater or better dressed than I, but there is a point of simplicity and native dignity beyond which no one can go without getting into the realm of needless, wasteful luxury and harmful superfluity. Some men are as bad as some women. What with ties for every function and hour of the day, cuffs, collars, vests, and creased trousers all of which must be à la mode and au fait. To me, these things reveal as much non-compos mentis as they do à la mode, for mind should be and is superior to an excess of such frivolity. Rose Wood Allen Chapman, in Good Health, has sagely written upon this subject. She well says, THE ONE IMPORTANT THING IN LIFE IS CHARACTER, YOUR OWN CHARACTER, THE CHARACTER OF YOUR HUSBAND, YOUR CHILDREN, YOUR FRIENDS. ALL OTHER THINGS SHOULD BE JUDGED BY THEIR BEARING UPON THIS IMPORTANT MATTER. THINGS MAY BE DELIGHTFUL IN THEMSELVES, BUT IF THEY TEND TO ADD TO YOUR WORRIES, IF THEY ARE A BARRIER BETWEEN YOU AND YOUR LOVED ONES, IF THEY INTERFERE WITH THE DEVELOPMENT OF THE HIGHER FACULTIES OF YOUR CHILDREN, they become undesirable, inadvisable, and should be classed with the superfluities of life. The mother who prepares for her baby dainty, handmade garments, wonderfully trimmed with lace and embroidery, in the majority of instances, is depriving that child of personal love and care that rightfully belong to him. What does he care for such finery? He wants his mother's companionship, and for himself, perfect freedom for all forms of activity. To so attire him that he must be constantly cautioned, "'Now don't get your dress dirty!' is to interfere with one of his inalienable rights. The wise mother will make her baby's clothes simple to serve as a background for his infantile charms. Instead of taking the attention away from him to center it upon elaborate ornamentation. Many housekeepers there are who bemoan their inability to keep up the interests of their girlhood. They have no time now to play the piano, to read inspiring literature, to join the club, or to enter upon any philanthropic work. They say they feel their deprivation. Have they ever tried to see how many of their household tasks could be eliminated as superfluous? I have been in homes where there were two and sometimes three pairs of curtains at each window. The effect was rich, but one whose mind was awakened to the question of the superfluities could but think of the extra work such hangings entailed. Then there are the cozy corners— The Turkish divans smothered in overhanging draperies, which the furniture stores are so eager to urge upon their customers as the very latest style. Such corners are gathering places for dust, and an unnecessary addition to the work of the home. Heavy carpets on the floors may feel soft underfoot, but they are hard to sweep and never really clean save after the annual beating, and so are both unhygienic and burdensome. Think how much less drudgery must be performed by the woman who has hardwood or stained floors with a few medium-sized rugs. Her floors can be wiped up quickly with a damp cloth, and her rugs thoroughly cleaned with a minimum amount of effort. At the windows, this same woman will have filmy net curtains, with ruffled border, it may be, that are ordinarily cleansed by putting them on the line where the wind can blow the dust out of them, or can easily be laundered when more thorough cleaning is desired. On her walls will be a few artistic pictures, with no overhanging festoons or ribbons to catch dust and add to the labor bric a brac will be conspicuous for its absence. "'Photographs will be put away, "'instead of covering her dresser and the walls of her bedroom. "'In a word, her aim will be to have her home light, airy, artistically furnished, "'but in such a way as to be the least possible burden to her and to her family. "'Husbands and children find it hard to be careful of the things that have been bought for show.' Why not dispense with them, then, and have only that which is necessary and usable? Many housekeepers have learned to dispense with unnecessary furnishings, but are still slaves to elaborate meals, especially when they entertain. It is wise in the first place to remember that the health of the family is conserved by simplicity in the meals. Even though they are now used to a large variety at each meal, they can be gradually accustomed to a simple diet. No soup when there is dessert, and no dessert when there is soup, is a very good rule for dinner. The other course should consist of a meat substitute and only two vegetables. A simple breakfast food with bread and butter and fruit is enough for the morning meal, while an equally simple supper should be entirely satisfactory. It is a temptation to leave the paths of simplicity when company is coming, but if we just remember that our friends come to see us, not to eat our food, we will find it easier to restrain our inclinations in this direction. Oftentimes housewives become possessed with a spirit of emulation, which leads Mrs. Smith to feel that she must set forth a more elaborate meal than Mrs. Jones had served, while Mrs. Robinson, in turn, strives to eclipse Mrs. Smith, and as a result, meals become so complicated as to be the most burdensome to the hostess and almost dangerous to the guests. Let us confine our efforts to making our simple entertainment as attractive as possible and furnishing such wit and merriment therewith, such geniality and kindliness, as shall make our guests feel that they have partaken of a feast. I have already, in other chapters, commented upon some of these things, as revealed in the light of the Indian's life. Their lives are, perforce, models of simplicity, devoid of luxuries and also of superfluities. It is not my intent to suggest that we should revert to their method of living a simple and unluxurious life, but I do long with all my heart that we might take lesson from them and find the golden mean between their life and our too complex and superfluity-laden life. If health and happiness are the ends to be attained in life, they, with their rude simplicity, have surpassed us with our elegant and ornate complexity, and for me and mine, I prefer health and happiness rather than all the superfluities that a commercially cursed bargain counter curio loving bric-a brac adoring showy shoddy civilization can give End of Chapter twenty.